So right now it's um, Saturday and what date is it? It doesn't even matter. So it's uh, the 30th of May, <clears throat> 2020, and it's 6.46 Mountain Standard Time here in Santa Fe. Um, so the weather's pretty warm. Maybe it's about 79, but it's uh, sort of windy and cloudy. Um, and it's really warm inside. I'm going to have to buy a fan or something. Anyway, enough about that. <clears throat> um, so I've always wanted to do um, some kind of podcast from psychology. Um, my BA, BA is in psychology from Auburn University. Um, but, you know, a BA in psychology is sort of like it prepares you to be a barista at Starbucks, <clears throat> a very mindful one, mind you, but uh, it's not that um, it's not that in-depth. I, I always wanted to become a clinical psychologist but I really wasn't ready for that type of program, and I don't think I would have made it through the uh, the rigor, especially the the medical part. Uh, anyway, uh, a few days ago, or not a, f- a few days ago, but last week, I was reading um, one of the like the not landmark, whatever the word they use for it, but like one of the main works for psychoanalysis. Um, it's the study on hysteria by uh, Floyd and, and uh, Breyer, Boya, I'm sorry. <clears throat> anyway, it was just his uh, collection of case studies on the reasons for hysteria. Um, and uh, people get all bent out of shape because, uh, you know, everyone likes to trash Freud, but they use everything he developed. And remember when Freud was developing psychoanalysis, he he, he wasn't a psychologist um, he wasn't even a psychiatrist. He was a neuroscientist and he was dealing m- mostly with, uh, upper class, uh, Jewish women. And this was during the Victorian period. So now we talk about sex and sexuality and all that sort of thing. And we think we're edgy, but back then he developed this without having that freedom to be able to discuss those sort of things. Um, so, uh, there's this book when I was a kid, uh, I remember one of the first movies I saw like in a movie theater was this movie called the rats of Nim, and it came out in 1982. So I was pretty young and I think maybe it came out a bit, a little bit later to the theaters again. Sometimes they do this because I don't think I would have remembered anything at two, but I do remember seeing it in, in, in a theater so it's called the rats of nim and uh, it came out in 1982 but it's based on a children's book in 1971 called miss frisbee and the rats of nim um and nim is n-i-m-h it's an acronym for the national institute of mental health um so it's based on partly on the research that john calhoun did on um uh, rat rat populations and dynamics. You've probably heard of the essay on population density by uh, Malthus, um, but he actually did it on these these uh, rat colonies, and he did it for like for ten or eleven years, I think. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty creepy. Anyway, um, I, I was thinking about this film because 
when we talk about psychology, we're talking about individuals, but what we deal with on a regular basis, I think of it in terms of uh, crowd psychology, like what we're dealing what we're dealing with now. Um, you know, when people riot or protest, or when we say things like society, like it's just this thing out there, but it's a nexus, and we all we all form part of it. Um, but we behave differently in um, crowds than we do uh, on our own. And uh, and to me, I think it's... So when I think of psychology, I kind of think of uh, this string. You've probably heard a lot of poems about it, like the Silesian weavers or um, this... Uh, maybe in mythology you've heard about this thread and the, the fates, they thread this thing um, in and out. And it's like uh, the threading is supposed to be an analogy for your life. And when a thread is cut, that means it's over. If you've heard things about like astral projection, um, a lot of people speak about it as you being attached to your physical body by this long thread and this thread can extend out in infinity uh, to a lot of other places and it's attached to you. And then you have that thread and then you have the threads of everyone else. So to me, it's like this nexus or it's like this, what is this, uh, this Gordian knot, right? Um, if you've seen the matrix, you're probably familiar with the, uh, the sort of net a sort of net around earth. It like captures us and it causes us to go into this infinite, infinite cycle of reincarnation. Um, I think it's been described as like, um, you've heard of like an electric fence. Imagine that's all around the earth and you can't escape it. So we're stuck here in this tangle of these strings and these threads and these are all intertwined when we start dealing with societies and other people. And we're stuck inside, you know, like these rats. One of the behaviors that Calhoun observed with the, the rats when they were overpopulated um, is that the mothers began to, and I think you can, you can also, uh, anthropologists also talk about this in human populations where there's uh, poverty the mothers, when they see uh, a child that's not thriving, in order for them to protect themselves psychologically from the loss of that child, they disinvest in that child emotionally. Um, rats, um, the mothers, they will cannibalize some of them, or they'll abandon them. Um, and the males, the aggressive males, will cannibalize them. So, um, Where was I going with this? I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that this sort of stress we feel about society and the world and the problems we need to solve, it's just like we're tangled. It's this entanglement. And I think of existence largely as a sort of entanglement, like getting enmeshed. Um, you've probably heard a lot of people say, like people of the New Age movement are even in... Uh, 
whatever your religion you're in that uh, souls choose to come here and it's like a proving ground um or you've probably heard of like if you've heard of interlopers or like extraterrestrials intergalactic travelers coming here and getting stuck it's kind of like that so i think we're dealing with it i think largely humans have this um they have this trauma, this traumatic memory of being in prison, of being taken and being held hostage. We might not think of it that way um, because we're so involved into, you know, other things. But if you read about human history, whatever your belief system is, like, for example, the Abrahamic religion, um, the Christian Bible, uh, we have, um, we're created, but we're, we're imprisoned here and we're told you can't do this and you can't do that, but you're not going to have this wisdom. You can't have this wisdom. So we're, we're held in a, in a hostage by a, a higher power. Um, ostensibly this power is benevolent, but it doesn't have to be. All it has to be is more powerful. So I think humans always have to deal with that. I, I brought up Freud because he wrote this essay called um, Civilizations and, and Its Discontents. Um, and in it, he talked about the psychology of humans and how we have this ambivalent idea towards civilization because civilization gives us some, some benefits, but also we have to give up part of our nature in order to receive those benefits. So we're civilized, but what civilized means is that there's a part of ourselves we have to give up. So it's like this fracturing. And he talks about that fracturing and hysteria, that it's almost like uh, a dis disassociation, that we have to live two completely different lives in order to function. Um, and he also <laughs> talked about the ambivalence, for example, that the son would have for the father um, are also the ambivalence the daughter would have for the mother. Um, so the reason I'm so interested in psychology is I wonder when we get down to what are, what are we really? Um, we repress a lot of things. We give up a lot of things, um, but we're still primates, right? And we're like civilized, civilized primates. It's like that gibbon you see in a in the top hat dancing to the grinder. Um, I think it's a gibbon or some sort of small, you know, primate um, that dances to the grinder, but it's still a monkey, right? <clears throat> um, for me, um, psychology, when I think about psychology, I think of it in terms of memories and associations with those memories. Like, why do you remember some things and you don't? Lately, I've been having a lot of dreams where I go back to places I've had in earlier dreams. And, and not recent, but like dreams I remember having, you know, when I was in my teens. And uh, why would I remember that? And how would I remember it was from that long ago? And uh, 
and so uh, again going back to freud he attaches hysteria um to some kind of memory that has an association with it that you haven't had the chance to deal with and let it extinguish so you repress it and then it usually manifests itself in the case of hysteria in some sort of psychosomatic uh, problem like a lot of the patients that he had in his case studies were having epileptic seizures um, certain types of amnesia um, uh, are a lot of them had uh, these weird things happen to them where they can only speak in one language and not understand their native language or something like that. And, and so we're kind of like this thing that just like this reservoir of all these things, these reservoir of these memories, uh, the reservoir of all of the things we're trying to sort out, but we, we haven't been able to. And in terms of crowd psychology, it becomes that sort of hysteria, but it's just on a bigger level. And I actually think uh, being part of a crowd is easier because you're able to diffuse responsibility and it takes the pressure off of yourself to deal with uh, individual, individual problems, psychological problems. And I think for me, since I'm an introvert, since I avoid crowds, I do a lot more of that. I can't, uh, it's not saying that I'm um, better, um, but I think you tend to be a little bit more adjusted because you do a lot of the diffusion yourself. Um, for example, it's very easy to say, oh, well, I've never murdered anyone or I've never done this or I've never done that. But you can't really understand it then, can you? Uh, except in a sort of conceptual way. And um, I was reading this and I forgot where it was, just to make sure you know that's not my original thought. Um, but, um, but the quote was that, I think it was an interview between two psychoanalysts um, or a discussion conversation with two psychoanalysts. But they said that some people can understand things intellectually, but not emotionally. And I think a lot of people understand things conceptually um, and intellectually, but they don't understand it um, emotionally. And I think part of that understanding emotional things is it's unspeakable. And so we have our social sciences, but I don't know if that's adequate enough. Um, and, and I think it's good to understand things conceptually and intellectually too. Um, for example, I don't want to go through trauma to understand something, but you can understand empathy and you can understand um, what another human being would need to function uh, properly to develop properly, uh, even though you may not have had that experience. So I'm not saying that if you don't have an experience, you don't understand anything, but I just think you can't really know it. Do you know what I mean? You can't really, you can't really be it. So, um, I should have wrote down notes, but I don't want to write down notes because 
I don't know what to sound like a TED talk. So I'm just going to drag on here a bit and, you know, I'll get better later on. Um, but right now I, when I think, I think in like spurts. So it's like this huge jumble of things. And imagine like, um, imagine you have a cloud like twirling around in a circle and there's things in this cloud that you're trying to get, but you can't really see these things. So you just have to stick your head hand in that cloud and just grab and whatever comes out. <laughs> That's how it feels. Um, and this is why I find this to be so hard. It's why I find it hard to be spontaneous. I used to lecture, you know, these huge freshman uh, introductory anthropology courses. It was miserable because, well, I don't know why I was so nervous. They were freshmen. They were all sleeping on their phones anyway. And the ones who were actually paying attention and not giving me the deer in the headlight stare, they were probably just thinking, fuck, I'm glad, glad it's not me up there. Uh, but uh, that's the reason why I had such a hard time organizing information. Um, I don't think psychology works like that. I think um, I think it causes me anxiety because, for example, um, something I'm trying to improve on. I'm a very avoidant person, um, and you think you're avoiding when you avoid things, you give the, you give yourself relief. But actually, what's happening is that it's not being resolved, and then you're carrying it around. So you have the anxiety, and then you have the the labor. And um, I think at least for me and my psychology, I carry around a lot of things um, that I haven't resolved. And, and then I have to do the work. And we talk about repression a lot, but the thing with repression is it's not gone, it's there. It's just not, we're not allowing it to we're not allowing it to come up. We're avoiding it. We're pushing it down. And so for me, I have a lot of these issues with, um, for example, anger um, and uh, certain types of trauma. When you say you have trauma, people never, they never listen to you. They have, they're sort of like, oh, that's cute. Um, we have this idea that in order to be traumatized, you have to be you know, raped or a POW or molested as a child or, you know, something uh, extreme. But they don't think about the, the little cracks that are in you like every day and they just accumulate. And then when someone breaks apart, then we're like, oh, my God, where did that come from? But it's because I, I think we're okay with the little microaggressions and the micro traumas that no one pays attention to. Um, I have a lot of those, and I'm trying to get rid of those. And uh, and it's tough because I, I don't want to sometimes. I don't like what I see sometimes. I think it's very ugly. I think I'm a grounded person, but I, I don't think I'm a... I don't think I'm a good person. Uh, 
I, I shouldn't say that good and good and bad. I don't think those are very useful. I think I am what I am. And I think I'm fairly um, balanced, but I carry a lot of things that I shouldn't. And I allow a lot of things that I shouldn't. Um, in, in terms of society, I see the what we call discourse, which is it's not discourse at all. It's just screeching. And um, I hate you and I don't like you. And, um, and I've talked about this with friends before, but for example, we have political figures and they're, and they're odious. But sometimes when we um, express hate or um, anger or contempt, it's almost like a defense mechanism because what we see and we hate in other people, it's a reflection of something we hate in ourselves or something that we we feel we're missing in ourselves. Um, but in the public sphere, we have these sort of scripts and we follow those scripts, but we don't really believe them. Um, it, it's like, and, and this is why I like comedy and sitcoms and that sort of thing. Uh, we laugh at the really odious characters in sitcoms you know, the asshole, the jock or whatever, you know, the uh, person that speaks their mind and we laugh and we think it's funny. But if we saw that person in real life, we'd be like, <gasps> you know, we'd be like, that person is terrible. But in the back of their mind, in the back of our minds, we're like, you know, I wish I could do that with impunity and not give a shit. <laughs> um so in terms of psychology and this repression and this just holding on to things that just keeps festering and growing, I think in society, we have these rules of civiliza civilization that um, that we have to keep up the script, but we know underneath it is just boiling and boiling. And then one day it just comes out. And I, I think it's, uh, it's going to be kind of disturbing, but it's kind of hysterical, isn't it? Um, and I wonder how long we can do that. And I wonder why, um, I think relatively, at least in, in the U S and in a lot of, uh, what we call Western countries, we have a bit more freedom to just say what we want to say, um, and not be so concerned about, you know, being, um, banished from society or that sort of thing being disowned but in those societies we tend to be more restricted about what we do um, and uh, so when I look at someone and I have contempt or anger I always think about what is it about me that makes me hate that is it because I don't have something that they have is it because I um exhibit a quality that they have. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about celebrities and politicians because they're some of the biggest psychic focal points, um, especially for Americans in terms of celebrities. Like if you go to France, I mean, I'm sure people have heard of Juliette Pinoche or uh, Daniel Atoll. You know, he's, he was in like... Um, 
every movie in France since like the 1700s. So everybody knows him. But I feel like here in the U.S., we sort of internalize these people. And, uh, for example, in politicians, it's, it's sick. Uh, oh, he's a person I could drink a beer with. And uh, I feel like he feels my pain and, and that sort of thing. And it's just like it's, it's ridiculous. It's like um, you don't know anything about these people. So how can you hate them? How can you feel that they're like you? Um, I, I see, for example, a lot of the black politicians, if you're a black person, uh, and they have this thing, and it's very, very uh, um, not provincial. I guess provincial is the word I'm looking for. It's like Auntie Maxine Waters. And you know what I'm like? It's just, it's, it's cringy, right? Um, these are politicians. That game that they're playing is a pay for, what is it called? Pay to play scheme. And I think people are collateral. So why is it that we internalize these or idolize these, uh, these figures? And I wonder if we're idolizing a certain type of psychology. Um, and I'm not saying it's wrong to admire people. There's a lot of people that are admirable. But uh, especially in, in the U.S., I think I'm probably right. I mean, I'm an American. And I have this impression that we do it to a greater degree. It's like very acute. Um, and I can't ever remember uh, a European or any European that I've met. I, I, I tend to think that they take politics and things like that more seriously. But I can never remember them expressing something really strong about, you know, Angela Merkel or, uh, you know, uh, Macron or <laughs> what with Americans, all you have to do is mention a name like Clinton. Oh, I hate her. <laughs> and, uh, or, or if you mention uh, Trump or Obama, it's like you hate them. How, how can you hate them? Um, are, you know, a celebrity. Uh, you can find them annoying, but Hitler or Stalin or, I don't know, Goebbels, uh, or maybe George Wallace, I don't know. Uh, those are people that probably you could hate, right? Because they are actually affecting you. They're actually exterminating you. Um, someone that tries to hurt you, yeah, you could hate them, but you're hating this uh, product, this psychic focal point. And that's why I think we're so sick in this country, is that we don't really know anything about ourselves, and just we're just responding to these phantoms. And, uh, and we're just locked on them, like we can't separate from them. Like, just look at a Facebook all day and look at the feeds if you're not careful. It'll be like uh, every five minutes. And just count the amount of times you hear the name of the president or the amount of times you hear the, you know, the opposition or whatever, um, the times you hear black or white. Um, and then look at the comments. <laughs> 
it's just bad. I had to pull away for a while because I don't think it's good for my psychology. And I don't think I'm going anywhere with it. Um, because again, sorry, that's my brother. I'm going to have to call him back later while I'm uh, preaching here. Um, but I guess I, I still, I think popular technology or, or popular culture is good because I think you get the real pulse of what's going on. Um, like it's just the smoke screen, right? Um, we can talk about psychology and just be like, oh, you know, that's, you know, hogwash or whatever. Um, but actually that's what this game is all about. It's just this, this sort of um, hooking psychology. It's like the media tries to hook you. Your religion tries to hook you. Your, um, the people you interact with, they're always trying to hook you into a certain type of psychology, into a certain, a certain moving into a certain way. And if you're not careful, you'll, you know, bite the wrong hook. Um, and I think you can learn a lot from how, how you're being manipulated, but you have to know that you're being manipulated. Um, you have to know that you're being owned. And I wonder if, if there's a, if you can find a pattern from, from things like social media, um, I know you can find it in the media, but in the media, it's not even, it's not even subtle anymore. Uh, it's just like right there. Um, 